I really want to capture this idea of missions um, out of two chapters of the Bible. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and chapter number 9, we're going to read, this is going to be a little bit of a unique sermon for me because we're going to read both chapters and we're just going to unfold some, um, some emphasis that is placed on this idea of missions. These would be probably two of the most significant missions-focused passages um, or chapters in the Bible. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are really focused on the idea of, of gathering up missions, gathering up things to send to another church or another group of believers to help support them, to help encourage them, to help strengthen them during, during their time of difficulty. And it not only t- teaches on the actual act uh, of supporting these churches, supporting these ministries, supporting these missions, but it also deals with the heart behind um, what is our motivation for supporting these works and what is our motivation for doing these things. I- I'm afraid that we as a culture have, have become very uh, self-focused and selfish in our thinking that we think each day about our own needs, our own future, our own success, our, our own um, kind of a, a, a self-centered focus, and we don't realize that there are people all over the world who uh, live from day to day. And we know what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck, but we're talking about people who live from day to day, and meaning that they're going to work today so that they can eat today. And people who have, uh, Ron, Ron made the, brought up the statistic, I think it's like 28% of the world that has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, not that they don't have a Bible, not that they don't have uh, access to a church, that's even a greater number, but 28% of the world that has never heard the name of Jesus Christ, if you ask them who is Jesus, they wouldn't be able to give you an answer. There's another statistic that says, there, I don't know what the numbers are in regards to how many churches, how many um, ethnicities have not been reached with the gospel. I know that 28% of the world does not know the name of Christ, but there's also another statistic that if one group or one person out of every evangelical church would commit themselves to the mission field, that means if one person out of this group this church, and you go around America and you tap into one person out of every evangelical church and they decided to be missionaries, that it would take, I believe, less than six years for us to cover the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just by one person committing themselves, and one person is very minimal. It's truly it's, it's really a small thing, and we think of it in a small way, but, but it's really not because, because no one's going. I was talking with someone the other day and we were just talking about how many, how many young people do we have coming to us and asking us, what can we do to become missionaries? What can we do to become pastors? What can we do to become evangelists? What, what schools should we go to? What should we partake in? What should we, we do with our lives so that we can give ourselves to Christ? And, and the answer is, is none. And maybe none is a, harsh, is, a, is a harsh number, but that's just the reality of it. There, there isn't this heart or even, even recognition of this need that's, a, that's around the world. And so we need to get a heart for, we need, we need to get God's heart 
for the world around us and realize that it is more, it is, this world is, is more than retirement. It's more than having money in the bank so that you can make sure that you make it to whatever age and, 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 and be able to live comfortably. It's more than that. This is, a, this is a needy world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe God is not calling you to go to that world, but maybe he's calling you to send somebody, to sponsor somebody to go into the world and share the gospel with people. So 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a, it's really a, um, the apostle Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. He's encouraging them with this, idea of giving to missions. That would be kind of the focus of it. In chapter number eight, he talks about and, and encourage, encourages the church here by pointing out the church in Macedonia and the church in Achaia. And then in chapter number nine, he tells them that he had pointed to them when he was talking to the church at Macedonia and the church at Achaia. So really, he's almost fitting them against each other, saying, look what they've done with missions, Look at the work that they've accomplished with missions. And he, he's almost, he's, he's not fitting themselves against each other, but he's, he's really, he is, he is saying, look around you and see what other people are doing in this area of missions and, and, and exceed them, excel in this area. And there are two main words that you find throughout chapter eight and nine of 2 Corinthians. One is grace, um, the grace of God. And the other is excel or exceed. Um, it's super abound is the idea of it, to go, to go beyond. So he wants us to go beyond. He wants us to excel in the grace of God, specifically in, in sharing it or giving other people opportunities to experience it. So I, I wanna read to you. If you guys, um, if, you, if you're taking notes and I would encourage you to do so this morning because it's going to be a lot of information. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any specific point. I just want to run through this chapter, these two chapters, and give you some thoughts to consider. But Romans 15, 25 through 29, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, these are both passages of Scripture that give us a, a, a preface, if you will, of what's taking place in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's this gathering of of, um, of support, Paul, on his missionary journeys. He had three missionary journeys, some believe four, but Paul on his missionary journeys was gathering up support for the church at Jerusalem, which was struggling, and he was going to return to them and give them this support, give them this encouragement. And that's what those two passages deal with. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are, are a specific instruction in regards to this gift. So follow along with me if you would. Open your Bibles in 2 Corinthians 8. And we're going to read both chapters. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor or grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
and this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he would complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, just notice this verse if you would, but as you excel, as you abound, as you go beyond in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel or abound in this act of grace also. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that we abound in faith, we abound in speech, we abound in knowledge, we abound in earnestness, and, and we abound in love. Or We, we place a, a high level of, of interest in these things, spiritually speaking. And he says, see that you abound in this grace also, or, or see that you abound in missions as well. See that you abound in, in giving and supporting those things that are to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Go on with me. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, we're gonna stop there as well. This is, a, this is an illustration, if you will, of the rest of the context of scripture. He throws Christ out and says, here is the illustration of what I'm talking about. The illustration of what I'm calling you to, okay? Christ is the example. Christ is the norm for what God has called us to. If we wanna know what we're supposed to be like, we look to Christ as the example, right? We agree with that. We look to Christ as the example. So, so here's the example of what our attitude should be to the blessing of others. Jesus Christ, who was rich, okay? In, in other words, Jesus Christ, who had all things. He was in heaven with the Father. There was nothing that was outside of his hands. His, his wealth and his riches uh, exceed the greatest king that ever existed upon the face of the earth. Solomon was just minor in relation to the possessions that Jesus Christ had with the Father in heaven. Millions upon billions upon trillions of dollars in human thinking would be the possessions that Christ had in heaven with the Father. There was nothing that he did not own or possess. So you get, begin to get the picture that here is somebody that is of super significance and great importance, but yet for the sake of you and the sake of me, he becomes poor. And this word poor does not mean he gives away $10 here and there. It means that he literally having everything, possessing everything, he gives it all up. He lays it all down so that you and I might become rich. He's not talking about financial riches. He's talking about spiritual riches. Jesus Christ came into this world not to make us physically rich, but to make us spiritually rich. He came to give us something that we needed for the sake of eternity, not something that we needed for the sake of now. And we do need it now, and we do benefit from it now, but the ultimate essence of it is the, the salvation that we experience 
at the expense of Christ Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. So here's the example. He, Jesus, who was rich in every way for your sake, for my sake, for the sake of those who would believe on him and embrace him as their Lord and Savior, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Now just again, note this is, this is what he is calling us to. This is what he's using as an example of giving to missions. Go on with me. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who, are, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in, in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what they do not have. For I do not mean that others should be, should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be a fairness." And let me just say this and stop for a moment here. Their abundance, their need at this time is, is matching your abundance and your need is matching their abundance. In other words, there are people who have needs that which God has blessed you in such a way that you can, that you can supply their need, but God has blessed them in such a way that they can supply your need. And that there's, a, there's an equality of giving here. Some people might be able to give of their time and their energy and their efforts, but they may not have a lot of money, right? We, we saw that. We saw that this morning. Um, our, our missionary friend, he has the ability, he has the time, he has the energy, and he's willing to give that to the Lord. We don't maybe have that same gift, but we have the money to make it possible for him to give those things. So there's an equality of giving in addition to that, I believe that this is also, would also be an accurate interpretation of this phrase, is that when you have abundance and somebody else's need, you supply their need, and that one day they might be the one with abundance and you might be the one with the need and they will supply your need. I believe that both of those would be practical and applicable to what we're talking about here. But watch what he says. It's so important that you get this. He says, for I do not mean that others should be burdened and uh, eased and you burdened, but that in a manner of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance might supply your need and there might be a fairness. This next phrase is super important. As it is written, whoever gathers much, whoever gathers much, what's the next phrase? What's the next part of that phrase? Whoever gathers much has nothing left over. And whoever gathers little has no lack. Whoever gathers much has nothing left over. Whoever gathers little has no lack. In other words, those who have little have no lack because those who have much have supplied their lack. We see this in Acts 2 with the, 
with the church of Pentecost, the church at its very infant stages, what did they do? They brought all their money into the storehouses and they, and they, and they divided it as it was needed amongst the body of Christ. And I know that sounds weird, it sounds odd, but this is the principle of scripture. This is the way the Lord works. This is how brothers and sisters in Christ work together for the glory of God. Let's go on. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he, also, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, these are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. Let me just say this before we go on. He says, as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches the glory of Christ. He, he compares the glory of Christ with these churches. And he's saying that when you're, when, ultimately when you're giving, when you're blessing, when you're ministering to churches or through churches, you are ministering for the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. Chapter nine. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not <clears throat> prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I have said, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you since you were so confident. In other words, if they don't follow through, it's gonna be a disgrace to them, to the ones who have promised to do so, and to the glory of God. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this. You want to know the point? The Apostle Paul makes it pretty clear what it is. The point is this, right? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And let me just stop there for a moment as well. 
the abundance that we have, the, 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 the sowing that he's talking about here is, 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 is fairly financial. We would probably draw a fairly financial conclusion that he, he's talking about sowing financially. The reaping that he's talking about is not necessarily reaping. He talks about the grace of God making us sufficient in all things so that we are able to abound in every good work. So we have, the, we have this return of our investment, if you will, not necessarily in financial things. It can be in financial things, but we have this return that we can then um, uh, do more good works. It's not for our glory or our good. It's for his glory and for his good so that we can minister for, to others. Go on with me. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. You'll notice in this verse that he, his giving and his righteousness are connected. They're, they're, they're seen in harmony together. His righteousness endures forever. He is, given, he is giving freely. We'll go on. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, what you see is he that supplies seed for sowing, he that supplies food for the one that's sowing that seed, right? Right, that's missions. We are providing food, we are providing seed for the one who is out there doing the sowing. And the Bible says that the Lord will then provide us with stuff to then be providing for other people. So when you give, you are enabled to give more. But it, again, it talks about righteousness here not just supplying our financial or physical needs. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Okay, notice this. I'm gonna look at this a little bit more later, but just notice the way it reads this service, this act of grace is not only to provide the needs for the saints, it is to provide the needs for the saints, right? But that is not its only purpose, that is not its only goal, but it is to also create an overflowing, an overabundance. This is that word exceed again, that word excel. It is to create an overabundance of thanksgiving towards God. So our, our acts of kindness and our acts of sacrifice and our acts of grace cause people to have an overwhelming thankfulness towards us. Is that what it says? It causes them to have an overwhelming thankfulness towards God. And we'll look at that, how that functions here in just a moment as well. Go on. He says, by their approval of this service, or, or by their approval, by the people receiving, again, what we, what we saw this morning, by this pastor's approval or, or, or uh, acceptance of this gift, they will glorify God because of your submission that caused that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
And there's something that they see in people that are giving, that are blessing sacrificially. There's something that they see in us that is, they see Christ in us. And they glorify him because of that. And then it says at the end, thanks be to God for his inexpressible, um, the term here means undescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his undescribable, for, for the gift that he has shared with us that we can't even put it into words how extraordinary this gift that we have received from the Lord is. So we see in these, in these few chapters the, uh, some, some context to what missions is and some importance or significance to being a, a people, a church. And, and that's why I've titled the message a, a missions-minded church because this is really a, a church that's been blessed and they're, and they're giving and they're, and they're sharing it with other people so that the gospel might go into the parts of the world that haven't been blessed. Not, not only maybe not heard the gospel, but... but but maybe not blessed in a, in, a, in a number of different in a different number of different ways. So I want to look at four thoughts this morning, and I'm gonna. There's a lot of information in here. You you don't cover two chapters in one sermon normally, and you guys know how long it is that I preach when I care, cover a few verses. So we're we're in trouble. And I'm just kidding with you this morning. That was a joke. All right, thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to try to work through this and, and do it in, in such a way as to give you guys some things to consider. As you think about missions and giving, some things that we can consider that can be helpful for us. So, so four thoughts with several subpoints. So if, if you're, honestly, if you're taking notes this morning, it would be very helpful because you're not going to get as much unpacking of things as I normally would do. So number one is the instruction on missions. Why does God, why does God teach or why does God have Paul teach on missions here? Why does he have Paul teach on giving to missions? Now, some people would look at that question and say, well, he wants to get them to give money. He, he, he needs them to give money, right? Now, God needs these people to give money to the mission field because God doesn't have any more money in his bank account, right? But that makes no sense, does it? God doesn't, God doesn't have enough uh, energy or strength to go and preach the gospel to other people. Is that why God has us preach on missions and teach on missions? Is that why God has us encourage people to go to the mission field? Why does God encourage us to go to the mission field if we can, but if we can't, to preach and to, or to, to, to pay and to pray for those who go to the mission field? Why does he do it? Let me give you a few thoughts here. Number one, chapter eight and verse one, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. The first reason why God calls us to be involved in missions is that he wants us to know. He wants to inform us. He wants to show us something that we may not have been able to see before. He wants to expose us to something that we may not quite understand or quite, or quite grasp. This is what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is not about filling your mind with information as much as it is about applying the information from God's word and, and, and seeing it practically lived out in this world. So in other words, the apostle Paul is saying to this church, I want you to understand, I want you to know what it looks like, what it feels like to give to missions. I want you to understand that. I want you to experience the blessings of it. This is something that they did not know about. And, and again, it's not, 
a, a head knowledge, but he was wanting them to experience it. Maybe you've been in that, in that position before where, where you gave something to somebody or you blessed somebody sacrificially and there was just this overwhelming joy or, or, or this feeling inside of you that welled up because of that gift. That's what the Apostle Paul wants them to experience. Yes, God could do it. God could send millions of dollars to every missionary in the world and make them millionaires today, Right? But he wants us to know what it feels like, what the blessing is to give. It is, it is, it is an opportunity for us to know Christ. Again, he, Jesus, uh, the, we know the grace of God that he who was rich became poor. And he's saying, here's your opportunity to know Jesus better. You want to know Jesus better? How many of us want to know Jesus better? Okay, Good. I'm, I'm going to pray for the rest of you. <laughs> we want to know Jesus better. So here's what he says at the beginning. I am writing these things to you to just simply inform you so that you can know what this is like. I think most of us want to know Jesus better in his, in his heavenly existence, right? We don't want to know him in his earthly existence, which was total sacrifice. We want to know him in his heavenly existence, which is t totally having everything. That's not what he's called us to. He's called us to experiencing, experiencing him in his earthly ministry. That's why he tells us in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe the earthly ministry of Jesus, not the heavenly ministry. Because that's what we're called to. So the first thing, the reason why he instructs us on this is because he wants to inform us. He wants to inform us. He wants us to know. The second reason is he wants to give us an opportunity. You'll notice in verse number eight, he says, this is not a command. This is not a command. And he goes on to describe the fact that this is just an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to prove the sincerity of your, of your love. Some people look at the word of God and they just look at it as a book full of commands. It's, it's not a book full of commands. The word of God is a book full of opportunities. It's God saying to his children here, let me instruct you so I can give you extraordinary opportunities in the world. You can have a, a purpose that goes beyond you and extends to all of the world around us. Wouldn't it be great to embrace the reality that we in Hollister, California can touch people in Africa, in Asia, all over the world that we can touch people in those places and influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Isn't that a, an amazing thought? We've got, to, we've got to embrace that with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we don't withhold anything for self, but we give everything for the Lord. He wants them to have this opportunity, an opportunity to, to show God's grace to people, an opportunity for them to experience God's grace. Because when we show God's grace, we then also experience God's grace. This is the process that we go through. Number three, he says he, want, he, he wants to bless them. You'll, you'll notice in verse number um, 10, he says, in this matter I have given my judgment, this is for your benefit. This is for your benefit, this is for my benefit. And the word literally means this is expedient for you. This is good for you. 
The Lord is calling us to support, be involved in missions because it's good for us as much as it is good for them. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 17, speaking to the church about giving specifically to him. And he says, not that I seek this gift, but I seek this fruit so that it might increase to your credit. In other words, it was a blessing to them. Why is this written to us? Why is this encouragement given to the church at Corinth? It's a blessing to them. Paul is saying, I don't want you to not receive this blessing. I do not want you to miss out on something that God might have for you. There's so much, uh, uh, there's so much of an abundance of what God has for us. And sometimes we miss out on those things. He tells us in James 4 that we miss out because we don't ask or we miss out because we're simply selfish. And we ask for selfish reasons. He wants to bless us. Listen, folks, God wants to bless us. He's gonna tell us things that are gonna ultimately end up for our good and for his glory. We can trust him, right? When God says to us, it's a really good thing. When God says to us, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Can we trust that? Do we really believe? When God says to us, if you sow bountifully, you will reap. Can we trust that? Do, do we, can we, I mean, that's like, come on, Right? Can, can we trust that? Can, can we trust God to do what he says he's going to do? Yes. I think that we know the right answer, folks. I think that we struggle with knowing the application of that answer. It is good. He wants to bless us and it is good to give. It is good to bless others. Number four in regards to why does he give this instruction? He wanted to remind them and encourage them. You'll see it in chapter number nine specifically. They had made a commitment and the apostle Paul was reminding them of their commitment so that to make sure that they followed through on their commitment because if they didn't follow through on their commitment, it would impact the missionary's view of the church and then it would impact people's view of Christ. Does that make sense? Imagine if this missionary here said, the church in America promised that we were gonna get this new building. He told all of the people in his church that God was gonna provide them a new building and the church in America was gonna be the source of that supply. And the church in America said, you know what? We're not gonna follow through on that commitment. Now, how does that reflect on the missionary? But more importantly, how does that reflect on the church and on Christ? So Paul is also writing to encourage them to follow through with the commitment that they have made, in this case a year ago, follow through with that commitment so that you properly reflect, reflect on Christ. But ultimately, folks, listen, why does, why does he instruct us on this? Because it's for our good. It's a blessing. He's saying, hey, here's a way that you can get blessed. is by being a blessing. Number two, First of all, we talked about the reason why the Lord, um, the instruction of missions. Number two is the interaction of missions. In other words, how does God interact with us through missions? God interacts with us through missions by communicating, okay? God interacts with us through missions by communicating his grace to the world around us through us. In other words, God blesses us so that we can bless others. 
The grace that God manifests to us is a grace that he's manifested to us so that we can bless other people with that same grace. We are in some ways a conduit of the grace of God. We receive what God gives and then we bless other people with it. We do not receive what God gives so that we can become rich. We do not receive what God gives so that we can become uh, anything other than giver of grace. God has blessed us so that we can bless others. That is his motivation for doing it. That is how he interacts through us in missions. God blesses us so that we can bless. 1 Peter 4, 10, the Bible says, as each has received a gift from God, use it to serve one another. Did you get that? As everyone has received a gift from God, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God blesses so that we can bless. Remember this, God is the supplier. One of the things that you'll notice all throughout this text is this term, the grace of God. The implication of the grace of God is that this is God's grace. It's something that he owns. It's something that he possesses. It's something that he earned through the sacrifice of his son. It's something that he can give at his free will. So when you know that you have received grace, you have not received grace based upon your own merit, therefore you do not give grace based upon merit either, right? You have received grace based upon God's heart to give grace and therefore you distribute that grace based upon God's heart for you to distribute that grace. This is God's grace, not your grace. This is the result of his character, not your character. This is the desire of his heart. And what we're doing by giving the grace that God has given us is we're simply responding correctly. We're responding thankfully for what God has given us. It is a shame to those who receive grace from God and bury it in the ground and do nothing with it. The Lord even tells us that in Matthew 25 with the story of the steward. This is God's grace. And when he bestows it upon you, he bestows it upon you so that you can minister it to other people. This is what missions is. This is what missions is. You can touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ by taking the gift that God has given you and giving it to somebody else. The gospel is the means. God is the supplier. God is the owner. The gospel is the means. He tells us at the end of this chapter in verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Listen, it is the gospel of Christ that makes any of us desire to give. And it is the gospel of Christ that makes all of us desire to give. The gospel is the means, and then lastly, we are the stewards. You'll see throughout both of these chapters, these terms are used. We are the administrator of the grace of God. We are the administrator of the grace of God. We are the ambassadors of the grace of God. We are stewards of the grace of God. We are submissive to the grace of God. It is, it is his possession and we are just managing it here in this world. And what he wants of us is he wants us to let it impact as many people as we possibly can. His grace and we administer it. We administrate it. We share it with other people. That's what we're called to do. We are the stewards of this grace. 
So God blesses us so that we can bless others. This is the interaction of the gospel, of, of missions. Number three, the ideals of missions. I want you to read the passages that we already read when you go home, and I'm gonna give you this list right here. What are some ideal characteristics of church missions? Number one is that it's willingly, not by coercion. This means it's voluntary, it's a free choice. You'll see it in here. He talks about Titus going on his own accord. He talks about this church giving on their own accord. It's not something that they were coerced into doing, it's something that they gave willingly. God doesn't need, listen to me, God doesn't need your money. He's willing to take and use it so that you can receive a blessing. He's blessing you. It's not a twisting the arm behind the back that causes us to give to missions. Matter of fact, God would just rather us not. It's a recognition of the grace that we have received and a desire for other people to receive the same grace that causes us to open our pocketbooks, it causes us to open our mouths, whatever opportunity that we get. The understanding of the gospel of Christ in our lives is what motivates us and pushes us to desire it for other people. Listen, we've lost, we've lost an eternal perspective that we need to regain, that every person that we walk by is an eternal soul, and they're going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And everybody that we look at all across the world in the 28 a percent of the world who has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They are all eternal souls and they are gonna spend eternity in either heaven or hell. Jesus says to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers into his harvest. We need to be willing, not coerced into doing it. Not only willingly, but he says in another verse, in verse number um, uh, three, not three, yeah, no, five. Verse number five of chapter number nine, not by exaction. The word exaction here just means by extortion, for greed, for the sake of getting a return. Although we know that giving to missions will be, uh, will be a blessing to us, the heart and the motive behind giving to missions can never be that it will be a blessing to us. Does that make sense? We never give with the motivation of getting. Otherwise, we are not giving with the heart of God. We give because the heart of God is to give. And if we get back, we are thankful for what we get back. The Lord says to us in Luke 14, 13 and 14, but when you have a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Willingly, not for selfish gain or extortion, completely. He says that they gave of themselves first to the ministry and then they gave to us. In other words, they gave themselves to the Lord first and then they gave their money to the work of the ministry. This is always the proper order. It is giving your heart to Christ it is giving your life to Christ. It is saying, Lord, you have purchased me with your own blood and therefore I am here to be an ambassador for you. What, whatever you desire for me, I will do. It is giving of yourself to the Lord first that leads to giving of other things. It is reasonable. If you're taking notes, reasonable, complete, willing, reasonable, reasonable. He says that they give not out of what they don't have, but they give out of what they do have. 
The Lord is not asking us to be unreasonable in our giving. It does not mean that he's not asking us to be sacrificial in our giving. Be careful that you don't conclude that being unreasonable and being sacrificial are the same thing. The Lord is saying you need to be reasonable, but you need to be sacrificial as well. Many of us would call what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth, we would call it sacrificial, amen? Most of us would call it unreasonable. Be honest. If you logically think about what Jesus Christ did, it is absolutely unreasonable. This is what the world has convinced us of. It is not unreasonable to be sacrificial. We need to be reasonable. Don't give the food, that, don't give the money that's gonna put food on your family's table. Put food in your kids' mouths. That is unreasonable. He says, give what you do have though and give what you do have sacrificially. He says, equitably, meaning equally uh, a, 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 a balance of giving. He says, honorably, we give honorably, means proper, beautiful, good, virtuous, honest. We give honestly, or we give honorably. We give bountifully. Nine, it says that he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And we give joyfully. He says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word there is translated literally hilarious. This is a picture of somebody that laughs when they give, right? It's not the guy, you ever, you ever seen the doors on people's houses when they're nervous and they've got like 20 different locks on their doors? This is not the guy that has those locks on his wallet, right? And he has to get out 12 keys to get to his wallet before he puts some money in the offering plate. Or, this is not that guy. This is the guy that sees the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the lady that sees the work of the Lord as being bigger than, and being more important than anything else and is just abundantly overflowing with a passion to be able to give to it. This is not our world today, folks. This is anti and opposite of what the culture will teach you. The culture will teach you to do everything for yourself. The Lord teaches us the opposite. It is something that is from the heart. It is something that comes from an abundance of a love for Christ, an abundance of a love for the gospel, an appreciation for what Christ has done for you, and a desire, even at the expense of your money, that it be given to the whole entire world around us. If you take a moment and just read chapter eight, verse one through five, you will see Paul is not encouraging this. He actually says that they had to beg him. So just get a picture. Here's a church that actually absolutely has nothing. They do this love offering, they gather up this money, and they actually beg Paul to take their money to the church of Jerusalem. They beg him to take their money. Why? Because Paul wasn't gonna take their money. He's like, you need your money more than I do. And they beg him. Why? Because they understood the grace of God towards them and they wanted that same grace to be shared with other people. Listen, folks, we need that heart. That's what we need. Number four, the intentions of missions. Two things, very quickly. The intentions of missions. Number one, it is to bring glory to God. 
And you'll see that all throughout these two chapters. The ultimate goal is to bring global glory to God. That at the end of, at the end of time, you will have Romans, a Revelation 5, 7, or 5, 9, and 7, 9, where it says that there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing around the throne of God, worshiping and glorifying God. And you can take part in that through missions work. You can participate in that through the work of missions. It is to bring global glory to God and it is to bring global thanksgiving to God. It is to preach the gospel in such a way and to share the gospel and give in such a way that the people who are receiving will receive and be thankful towards God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 or 5.18, giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, in closing, how can we be involved in missions? There are three ways that you can be involved in missions at Grace Bible Church. Number one is to go. It's just, it's just God, God has put in my heart a passion for some people and I'm willing, to give up, I'm willing to give up the comforts of America. I'm willing to give up. Listen, the more comforts and the more sacrifices you make, remember this, the more comforts and the more sacrifices that you give up, or the more comforts you give up, the more sacrifices you make, the more valuable you make God look. Is our God valuable enough? Is his message significant enough that we would make sacrifices for him? This is how we elevate him beyond us. We can go. Matthew 28, 19, or 18 through 20. All power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The Bible tells us, number two, we can give. We may not be able to go, but we can we can give. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus uses the scenario of the man who had great, had great abundance and he said, you know what, I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build up bigger barns and better barns and I'm gonna fill those barns up with stuff and I'm gonna just have all this stuff and the Lord says to him, he calls him a fool. Very strong word in the scriptures. He says, fool, tonight you will die. Then whose things will all this be? Randy Alcorn says it this way, I've heard people say, I want more of a heart for missions and I always respond to them. Jesus tells you exactly how to get it. Put your money in missions and your church and the poor and your heart will follow. We can go, we can give, we can pray, number three. We can be a powerful source of strength for missionaries by praying for them. Somebody wrote in recently, uh, uh, communicated to the church that they would like to see the church pray more for our missionaries. And we minimize that, don't we? We don't just minimize it as a church, but we minimize it individually. How many of us, if we were to go around and ask, do we pray for our missionaries? Do we have a list of missionaries in our prayer list and things of that nature? Are we gonna say, yes, absolutely, I pray for those people. We minimize the power of prayer. We need to re-embrace it. We can be involved in missions by going, giving, and praying. And then what missions at Grace Bible Church can we be involved in? Let me give you a final few thoughts. 
missions through the local church. Okay, Paul writes this letter to the church. He talks about the church giving through, the people in the church giving through the church. Why is it important? Why has God established the church, a local church, through which he carries out his ministries? Why did God do that? Ultimately, the reason why God has called and commissioned the local church to carry out his ministries is so that when his work is carried out, who does the praise go to? Who does the praise go to? It goes to the Lord. When the body of Christ, when a group of people gather together who write a check in the name of Grace Bible Church to them, they praise the Lord for that gift. This is why it's important and valuable that you work through the local church because the danger of much of Christianity today is that Christianity is just a means by which I get exalted. We're not here to get exalted. Christ is here to get exalted. We're not here to get praised. Christ is here to get praised. We're not here to get worship. Christ is here to get worship. And when his body works together and functions together, it is he who gets the praise for it. No individual that's walking upon the earth gets it. Scriptures are very clear of the danger of stealing or borrowing or joining in on the worship that the Lord alone deserves. This is why we do it through the local church is that Christ will be exalted because we are the body of Christ. How do we do it through the local church? We have local opportunities, local outreach opportunities in the church here. I'm not gonna name them all off, but we have we have homeless shelters that we go to and serve meals and communicate to them what Jesus Christ is like. We can be involved in that. We have elderly uh, communities in our town. We have uh, lots of different opportunities that we're, we're wanting to, to touch and to reach out to, but this is the church. This is how we do that. Local ministry, local missions is important to the heart of the Lord. And then you have foreign missions. Right now, Grace Bible Church supports six missionaries. And we, should, we support some of them greater than others. My prayer is that our missions program, and I know Michael's prayer is our missions program will grow. That we'll be able to support more missionaries and we'll be able to more substantially support the missionaries that we have on right now. Six missionaries that are dependent on us as a church to take care, to help take care of their needs we can be involved in their life by giving. And we can be involved in other missions fields and other missionaries' lives by giving more. The missions, the missions fund that this church has is not set up to build a great abundance in the, in the account. The missions fund is set up that when we see that there's an abundance, we say, who is the next missionary that we're gonna take on? This is how we grow our missions work. Everybody raise your hand, if you would, please, right now. Everybody raise your hand, if you would, please. Low, high, medium, whatever you want to do. I want you to look around at you, okay? You are the church. You are the church. This is how we accomplish what we do. This is how we carry out missions. This is how we accomplish missions. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. And this is how we get it done. Missions is a blessing that God gives us. 
It's a privilege, it's an opportunity, it's for his glory. It's so that people all over the world might thank him for what he has done. It's also something that we can do and enjoy a lot of blessings from it. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this month in which we've been able to dedicate our hearts and minds to, this, um, to your heart, and, and, and especially in relation to missions and getting the gospel into this world around us. Um, help us, Lord God, give us a heart and a passion to do that, a love for that, that it exceeds our love for anything else. Pray that you would bless those who are here this morning, that you will be glorified and um, accomplish your work in our lives as we meditate on what you spoke to us this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.